Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-host and star of this show, Bob Schaefer. This is Touch Em All with Bob Schaefer, episode 352 on the network. Can't believe we've gotten that many in. Uh, before we bring on our guest, Bob, Bob, do you believe that was me playing the banjo right there for your show? No, no, not at all. Yeah, I wouldn't believe it either. That's not even close. Um, but uh, before we bring Bob on and introduce our guest, just want to thank two groups. First, our audience, uh, 60,000 subscribers right now, grassroots MLB front offices, 74 countries tuning in. Make sure after this show you give us five stars, write some great comments. Because of your push, we're now a major player on iHeartRadio's podcast network. Let's keep us there. We do battle the analytics of the podcast world just like they do in Major League Baseball. So help us out at the end. Second to our sponsor, our very first friend we brought in as a partnership, Blackout Coffee. Their slogan is Be Awake, Not Woke. Uh, we want to thank them for helping out our subscribers here. If you type in David, capital D-A-V-I-D, all caps with the number 20, when you go to their link, you'll get 20% off your purchase, and then you'll get 15% off in perpetuity. So 20% off. We love friends that love our vibe here. They love coffee. They love baseball. And certainly if they want to give us discounts, they're friends of ours. So make sure you take care of them because they're going to take care of you. With that, Bob, I want you to welcome back to your show and uh, let you welcome our guest on. Well, thank you. Uh, it's good to be back for another week. And uh, we're happy to have Tom Gordon, our guest today. I manage a lot of players in the minor leagues and coach a lot of players in the big leagues. And Tom Gordon has always been one of my favorite guys. I first met Tommy in 1987, or 86, I mean. I was I managed Memphis, but then I went to uh, it was eighty seven I guess I went to, I managed Memphis and I became the field coordinator. John Bowles said, "You want to manage AAA? Or you want to be the field coordinator?" I said, "Well, I've never been a field coordinator, so I did." So now I find myself managing an instructional league team, and down there we had uh, Kevin Apier, uh, Jeff Conine, uh, David Howard, Brian McRae, and a few other guys who got to the big leagues, and of course Tommy Gordon. So that's where I first met Flash. At that time, he wasn't Flash; he was just Tommy. But I remember when I first met him, I knew he was a great athlete. And in those days, we used to give all the players a 60-yard dash, get a time in a 60-yard dash. So he's running against another guy, and uh, he's kind of coasting. He's beating the guy because he, he was a lot faster. But I want him to run as fast as he could. So after he went over to the finish line, I said, come here. I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I said, I'm not doing this for my health. I'm doing this to see how fast you really can run. So get back there and do it again. And he looked at me and he said, okay. And he told me later, he said, I was scared of you. <laughs> but Tommy was, you know, such a great athlete and everything. And uh, we crossed paths a few times. Uh, you know, he was he pitched with Kansas City Royals, of course. He was a starter. He was a reliever. Um, he was one of the best pitchers in baseball, has one of the best curveballs. We had Bert Blylevin on a couple of weeks ago. He also had a great curveball. But between Tommy and Bert, I don't know if he had anybody with a better curveball than either one of those two guys. But but Tommy's just a great athlete. Uh, yeah, I got him. I was with the Red Sox and helped get him signed with us. And we became a free agent. Went over there, and he, you know, first year over there, he won. He started thirty-four games. I think it was twelve and nine. And the next year or two, Jimmy Williams came to me and says, "I need a closer." I said, "You got one right here." And he said, "Who?" I said, "Tommy Gordon." He said, "What do you mean?" I said, "He closed before, but make him a full-time closer." One thing about Tommy, he can strike out any three hitters in the American League with the bases loaded with that curveball. And plus, he had a plus fastball besides. So I guess Tommy found out that I talked to Jimmy about that. And he said, Shafe, I'd like to be the closer, but I have to pitch a few more innings to get my, my bonus to kick in. Is that right, Flash? <laughs> That's exactly how it went. <laughs> keep going. Let me hear some more of this. So now, so now what happened, uh, Jimmy says, good. So long story short, 
That year he won. He had 46 saves. <clears throat> and Tommy is the only pitcher in Major League history, not many people notice, I don't think, but had over 100 wins, over 100 saves, and over 100 holds. That's pretty impressive right there. But uh, also Tommy's had two sons play Major League Baseball. D, his oldest son, won a batting title with Miami. And right presently, Nick is a, a star player with Minnesota Twins. So, again, the other story I have about it, I was intern manager in 1991. John Walton got fired. <clears throat> he called me. And he, I thought he was calling me to say happy birthday because it's my birthday. He says, I got fired and you're going to be the manager. So I said, oh, that sounds good. Now, I, really, when you get to be an intern manager, you're sad because your buddy got fired. You're happy because you got a chance to manage, which I always wanted to do in my life. So I had my chance. And then, you know, at the end of the year, you get to apply for another job because whoever comes in is going to fire you. So that's how what's an intern manager is all about. But anyway, so we're playing and uh, Tommy's supposed to pitch that day. So I call him in my office, Flash. He became Flash then. I said, Flash, let me tell you something. Maybe the only game I ever managed, okay? So you're starting and you know what else? You're finishing the game. You're going the whole game, complete game. I said, what do you think? He said, no, I can do that. I said, good. So we're playing. We're up 3 nothing. They get a run. The guy's a home run at the top of the ninth inning. And uh, Flash guy looks in the dugout, and I look at him. I go, you know, go. You got it. Sure enough, he struck out the next two guys. We won 3-1. to one. My first major league win as a manager, and Tommy Gordon got it for me. So, again, one of my favorite guys. And, Tommy, that's all I got on you right now. But we may add some more things as we go on here. So, tell me how you feel. I, I know we will. I know we will, which is which has always been awesome. Because, uh, Shafe, man, I tell you, it's – year I met you and I, I know that there was, I was green eyed, you know, just kind of wide eyed looking to find someone that I can talk to. And uh, truly, man, it was always a blessing to have yourself, uh, you know, Rich Doobie, Ken Kravick, uh, Jerry Cram, but you was there with me the entire way. Um, and it was just like that first moment I got an opportunity to even get that call up. I knew that I was going to see you again. And now I get to do these things with you. It's just like last week we had the, a couple of weeks ago, we had the golf event, but you know, to credit you, Schaefer, there's a lot of players that saw you and they learned so many great things from you. The game was always implemented by the way you came to the field, ready professionally, uh, and people watched that. And, of course, even us as rookies going into rookie ball, it's like, you know, you know, if you're going to come to the ball field, you, you know, you can wear some shorts, but also, too, you want to wear a nice college shirt because you guys have been drafted by the Kansas City Royals. You want to look apart. And so I think a lot of the – things that we saw was credited to guys like yourself being so high up there, Joe Jones, uh, working with, um, you know, general managers that you did, Kansas City Royals owners and everyone that you knew, they credit you guys because the bottom line is we had to look from the top and say, hey, you know, how to carry ourselves, how to act. Uh, and, and there was times, you know, as well, that we did try to pull something over on you. Like, like the one time we tried to, you know, <laughs> take the bus and move the bus because we was trying to ride in this old blue raggedy bus in Sarasota and move it. And then you would be like, well, where's the bus? Somebody took the bus. But however, it was us as the players that took the bus. It was just, it was comical, but we also knew, oh man, Flash, you got to go talk to Shafe because he is absolutely going to lose it on this one. I was, and I couldn't think at the moment. I'm like, well, I, I can't not go with the guys. But when Shafe finds this out, the first one he's going to look for is Flash. I, I got your back, though. I got your back. Yeah, I said, you guys have a chance. You're going to probably hammer me down pretty good first. You will have a chance to get away, but if I were you, by the time you finish with me, I'd be gone. <laughs> well, I got him back, Dave. I got him back. Cause, uh, you know, instructionally, these guys make no money to speak of. They might get meal money for like 15 bucks or something. So one night, if you're, a few guys were laying on curfew, 
and I didn't very well. I didn't check curfew too often. I, I could tell the next day if who was out late and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, so I'm going to check it. And I had, I think Joe Jones checked it. But about six, seven guys got caught. So I said, okay, I'm not going to find you guys because you don't have any money, but go to the automotive store and buy some wax and you're waxing a bus tomorrow. So <laughs> they waxed this, this bus, which looked like, uh, you know, like a 1920 model or something like that. But it looked pretty good after they waxed it. You know, those guys are saying, you got to be kidding me. But, you know, they didn't miss curfew after that. No, that, was, well, that one time I was a part of that curfew missing, and I didn't do it again. I said, okay, what else we don't have to wax? We probably have to let the water out the pool and then have to clean the bottom of the pool. <laughs> but you would come up with some great things also, too, like that about the running. You know, I was like, I, I having fun. Here, here I'm drafted. haven't pitched an inning yet. And uh, you and I was already talking about me possibly getting an inning pitched in about two weeks because I had so many innings in high school. However, um, you kept saying, I need you to race, though. I need you to run. And I was like, Shafe, you sure? Run? I mean, I mean, the pitchers are already getting over to the pool and probably doing their distance run, and I'm still out here. They're like, Flash, just just, just get this done. <laughs> I was like, okay, Shafe, you got it. But that entire story was so fun because also, too, I was. I was running just to kind of keep up, to you know, be with the guys. But also, too, I, you know, was having a little fun with them because I'd already told them I could run pretty good, but didn't want to go on and elaborate more about that. I was there to try to show everybody that I could pitch. But more than anything, Shafe, it was a credit to you, man. I mean, you think about I, I remember Bo would talk about you so much in regards to this guy. If this guy gets an opportunity to manage, he can probably manage a mighty, mighty long time. And I've always heard this so many, even with employees that I have or people that I work with, you know, you're only as good as the people that you work with because they make you better. However, you think about the World Series teams you've been on. You think about the places you've been with Kansas City. And then not just to toot your horn because I'm your, I'm your guy and, and how much I love you, my family loves you, your family loves you. But, but also, too, there's so many players you made an impact on because of the way personally you handled them. You handled everybody different. And I think that's what we don't see a lot of today. It's everybody's being handled the same way. Um, and everybody respected the way you treated them as a person, how you actually press, press their buttons to get going. That story about me being the closer, that was Absolutely, that was balls on it because I never would have thought that day coming to baseball to the field I was going to be closing the game. I never would have thought that, and then, and it took you to say, "Hey, listen, I got all confidence in the world in you, little buddy. You know, I got you." And you, I, I said, "Shave, you sure? Are you <laughs> sure?" And you said, "And one thing that you said to me that I always equated all the way to the very last game I closed is that I don't want to be a unique. I don't want to be a closer that did it exactly how." Some of the greats did it, which I wanted to be like the greats. I wanted to do everything Ed did. I wanted to do everything Mariano did. I want to do everything Folk did. I want to do all those great things, Lee Smith. But you said, I want you to be you. I want you to use all your pitches. And I definitely want you to use both of those curveballs. And you said, well, what's that curveball your daddy taught you? I said, it's the drop ball. He said, okay. You know, that's, that's your second curveball. And that's always stuck in my head is that I had two curveballs. I didn't have just one. Uh, but but it's a credit to a lot of great people, too, in regards to the players we play with, the players you coached, uh, the team you work with. Look, look, I mean, it's just it's been phenomenal, man. It's been an awesome ride. And I think even with that, our second half or third half or whatever we're deciding to do is going to be that just much that much better. Yeah. Well, like you said, I mean, I always had fun. You guys made it more fun. But I always treat a person as a person first and a player second. And my my, my job was to make you guys better. I couldn't make you better, but I could tell you how you make yourself better. And I was never a pitching coach, but 
I also thought you'd be a hell of a shortstop, which you probably could have been. I don't know about hitting-wise, but I know you could play defense at shortstop. (laughs) Yeah, that's why one reason you're such a successful pitcher, because when the ball is up the middle somewhere, you'd probably get it before it get to the shortstop or the second baseman. And, uh, you know, just a great athlete. And you overcame a lot of things. Number one, you're a short right-handed pitcher. Nowadays, if a scout signs a short right-handed pitcher, he'd probably get fired. But the thing is, you know, you you were short, but you were tough. You had a lot of guts, and you're a hell of a competitor. So that made you plus, you know, you're breaking, you're breaking ball and your fastball and all your pitches were well above average. So you took advantage of it. But I think you gained more confidence the more you pitched, and uh, you helped a lot of teams win. That's for sure. Hey, Bob, I got a question actually, both for you and Flash. Um, for Bob, for you, what what did you see in him that made you think, without hesitation, that he could? turn into a great closer, as great a closer as he was a starter. And then flash for you, I mean, a lot of guys nowadays wouldn't have either trusted their their uh, their skip or uh, wouldn't have known how to mentally, physically make that adjustment. So for you, like, why did you trust Bob so much? And two, what was the mental, physical adjustment like? Well, for me, the first time I met him basically was when he ran that 60-yard dash. And I was ticked off because I knew he could run faster than that. So I brought him back. I said, hey, what the hell are you doing? He looked at me, <laughs> put fear in his eyes, I guess. But then he came back and ran like, I don't know what the hell it was, but he beat everybody in you know, probably the lowest time in the, in the camp. So it showed me that he said, okay, I can st- turn up a notch and I can do it. Instead of going back there and pretending he didn't loaf the first time and run the same speed, but this time he took off and it was like a blur going by me. So right then it told me this guy's a competitor and, you know, he wants to be the best. And that's the big thing. Players got to want to be the best. They got to pay the price to be the best. And Tommy was always out there, whether shagging balls or running or, you know, whatever. You know, he, you could tell he loved the game and he loved to pitch and he got his opportunity and he took advantage of it. A lot of guys get an opportunity, they don't take advantage of it. And, uh, and again, success breeds success. And the more success you have, the more success you're going to have. And confidence breeds success and, and success breeds confidence. So once Tommy got his confidence at a young age, I mean, he was 19 years old then, I think. Got to the big leagues when he was 20, pitched 21 years in the big leagues, and that's a big accomplishment for anybody. Oh, yeah, that- you know, and for me, it was always that if I could play, if I could show people that I could play the game, um, and, and honestly, I thought the first year for me was to try to prove that I could pitch. And, of course, I had heard from so many different organizations and people about being short and can't pitch. To where coming into Sarasota, I thought, you know, if I could just speak to – two or three people that made the decisions, Shafe being one of them, Gene, and, uh, Gene, Gene Matthews. Who was that? Rick Matthews. Yeah, made the decision in regards to, hey, yeah, we're going to talk to the general manager and just kind of give you some, some games. But also, too, we want you to take some fly balls and some other stuff. We just like how you move and all of that. So I actually thought in that regard it was, it was fun. So being able to go out and do extra things that other guys, if you was just there to pitch, you were pitching and running, you was doing your workouts and getting over, your day was done. But for me, there was times where I was pitching uh, or doing my pitching drills and stuff like that with the pitching coach. And then I go out center field and run some fly balls down. But all those things that I did was also hoping, helping me to, to, to give something to the game that if, it never worked for me as a pitcher. At least I would be given another opportunity somewhere to play because I just really wanted to prove that. It doesn't take a 6'2", 6'3 guy to play the game. However, you know, that's what most scouts was looking for. That guy's ideal. Hey, most football teams were saying a guy 5'8", 5'9". That's what I was looking – people looking for me more 
on the football field at that time is because they thought everybody around 5'9 was a pretty good running back. But, I mean, the Royals saw a lot in me, and I, I'm grateful for that because they, not only did they put me in a place where, where I could play and be myself, but also, too, they put me in a place where I could be happy and try to improve myself. And yeah. there was nobody better to do that with than guys that was in my corner. Yeah. Uh, the guys that wanted to see my bullpens and say, hey, you can work on that. We're going to give you time to actually show us that you can actually prove you can do these things. And we want to see you do it. You know, you know, listen, all our scout. And I heard that from the Royals the first time I was with them. You guys all said that, you know, hey, there's times we would like to just be wrong. If you want to be a better player, prove to us you want to be a better player. And I enjoyed that quote from you, Shafe. I always took that with me. I took that with me and some of the things that Jerry Cram would say to me, hey, you trust in your breaking ball. It doesn't matter what county is. That's who you are. And of course, there was always sometimes a little bit of a label. If you got a two-two or three-two count, you know you only throw fastballs. But from you guys, he was like, "Hey, be you. I don't need you to be anything else. But if you be you, there's a very good chance you could possibly be successful, end up in the major leagues, and look at how all those things happen." Because I was around the right people. Number one, I was coached by the best people. Number two, and then the influence that you guys gave me. It, it just helped me to actually help so many other people outside of the game with my kids, both of my sons playing, making it to the major leagues. I use those same thoughts and approaches to what I learned from some of the best people in the game, which is yourself. And like I said, Ken Kravick, um, um, Jimmy Williams. I mean, you know, J- Jimmy was so instrumental. I mean, here's a guy in Boston, um, the manager of the team and, you know, he's trying to figure out some things so he can because he's already proven that he can do some things in the game. He's one of the best bench coaches in the game. He's been around one of the best organizations in the Braves and won wherever he went. And now he's going to change some things in, in Boston. I mean, in Boston, that, you know, Boston, New York, Chicago, there's some tough places to make some changes when you're halfway through the season. But the confidence that he had, you guys had dissected that moment. And then all of a sudden I walk in the clubhouse and I was like, to see you, Shay, tell me in my eye, look me in my eye and say, hey, I know you can. I know you're going to be better doing this because what I've seen in you is you like being an athlete. You want to run the bases. You want to bunt. I mean, Flash, you want to do stuff now. That <laughs> we don't have National League, Pan-American League yet. When that happens, then pitchers do that a little bit more. But however, that gave me the confidence. So I share a lot of that influence from what I learned from guys that taught the game back in your era, Bob Boone's era, who was – Oh, man, just instrumental. You know how well he, he would go after and let guys know to trust him, but also, too, he wanted you to, 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 to call your own game. It was just things like that that was taught in the game for me that I see, saw then that I don't see today. And, you know, cool. just, just knowing how it was so – the the role of a closer it was so prominent in each and every game, each and every day, because there's teams that would decide whether they put their, their, their home run guy come off the bench. You got the best clothes in the game or the best guys in the game to finish the game. Sometimes they don't even use their best hitter. It's just almost like it's a wash. It doesn't need to be used today because that guy has, has been good stats on it against the best. So, you know, I was put in that situation, but I was around a lot of great people that actually helped me get to it and motivated me to do it. And I can't thank nobody better than Dennis Eckersley and Jeff Montgomery for sure. Yeah. Well, you had the great makeup, great confidence, and getting back to what you said before about, to me, you never were afraid to fail because you had a confidence to know you weren't going to fail. Now, you had a great curveball. A lot of guys wouldn't throw curveball unless they had a little cushion. In other words, they're ahead in the count. 
I remember one day we were playing Texas. I don't know if you think you might remember it. And Buddy Bell was one of the best players in the league at one time. He was toward the end of his career then. But he's up and it's like an eighth or ninth inning. And the game was online. And he went 3-0 and to him. And next pitch to a curveball for a strike. And Buddy looked back at Bob Boone. He says, what the hell is that? He says, it's a curveball. <laughs> he's 3-0, yeah. Here comes 3-1. Another curveball. Strike two. And Buddy looks back again at Boone. He said, Booney, what the hell are you doing? He says, three and two, pal. Next pitch, strike three, curveball. He's out. And about a week or so later, maybe sooner, Buddy Bell retired. He said, no, I can't do it anymore. A guy strike me out with three curveballs and three old count. I'm out. <laughs> but that was Tommy because Tommy knew he could get that curveball over. He wasn't afraid to fail. Now, a lot of guys would be afraid to you know, throw for a ball or whatever. And we couldn't really afford to have him walk in that situation. But Tommy said, no, I'm going to strike this guy out instead of being afraid to walk him. So that's what made you one of the great pitchers that you were. Well, I, I appreciate that opportunity too, trust me, because, you know, I, I felt that much more in a comfort spot to be able to, and, and don't get me wrong, it was never easy. None of those games were easy. It seemed like every time I came in a game, I was facing either the meter of the lineup or having, you know, a moment where I'm facing David Ortiz or Sheffield or Jim Edmonds, who I never got out, I don't think. You remember that out in Anaheim? I don't think I, I gave up three fly balls that went as far as they could possibly go. But either way, I ended up getting saved, got the outs, and Jim Edmonds, three days in a row, hit a ball to dead center like they were both out. However, I still, that may be the only time I ever got him out. But the closest role was so, so, so hard and tough because you, you wanted to do that for the team. You surely didn't want your starter who had gone well all the game, whether it's five innings. Hey, he's, that's a hard, that's a hard five innings sometimes. Or he's pitched seven innings, he pitched eight innings, and it didn't matter. You wanted that guy to get that win. And as a closer, you wanted that guy to get that win still. You wanted the middle guys to get those holes, and you wanted to finish that game for the team. You wanted the crowd to thank you and say hello and shake shake your hand. However, I always appreciated that role because it seemed like every single day that role was different. In every single stadium sometimes, I remember us going to Oakland sometime. We go to San Francisco. We go to different places. And the mound is a little bit different in the bullpen than it is out on the actual field. I tell my sons this today. I said, guys, if you don't go to ball field early, you don't get out there early enough to just kind of roam around a little bit, take some steps on the infield, count off how many steps it is from the infield in Boston to the infield in San Francisco and New York, and just kind of have a real good feel for where you're trying to play, you know, Larkin told him that. I mean, Larkin was with him almost every day for my, my, my boys' high school season. Said, These are things you must know. And if you want to be great at the game, you're going to actually take out more time to learn that. These things were started and was told to me when I was starting my rookie season. I mean, so I knew that there were different mounds that were higher. I also knew there were different mounds that seemed like if you were in a bigger stadium, like Oakland, Shay, if you know how Oakland is, it seems like you're way away from the fans. Yeah. But then you want to open the outs, you know, it's like, but I got a big curveball. So now I, how do I get that curveball down? Because now I have to do something different and change some footing and some stepping and some arm slots. And then now the curveball snout starts to stay up a little bit now. And don't, in Oakland, I did give up some long balls. But I think that would also equate it to there was times where it just felt so different. You're throwing backwards. You're throwing away from home plate. When you're warming up and you get in the game, the first two pitches you throw, you hit the backstop because it's just a different vision. You yeah. know how all these things play. You know, you go to Detroit and the ground's wet. I remember knowing the ground's wet, Shafe. You know how funny this could be possibly. Knowing the ground's wet, 
Yeah. We have a pitcher's meeting, and then you tell us, hey, hey, you know, here in Detroit, they like to wet the ground, so be careful knowing that when you come to a bunt, they want to win three to one. We want to win three to one. But if it's a bunt that needed to be a sack bunt, get a guy over to third base, second base, so they can put themselves in position to win the game, make sure you come in under control to feel that ground ball. Here I come. <laughs> Wide open, forgot that it's a sloppy, wet, right in front of home plate, slides. I still bounced the ball to first base, but luckily no error. However, it was just things like that, things like, you know, our scouting department. And I think today that may be, that may not be there for everybody. However, you know, you guys did it right. You guys did the game right. You guys coached the game right. And 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 it was always for me great to know that a manager or a coach or someone that really cared for you, he let you know by telling you how he felt by the way he worked with you, not work against you. Right. That was I mean, always a positive to give enforce you that, yeah, you got this. You and, and if you don't say this game today, you're going back out there tomorrow. And I remember hearing you say that all the time. I remember hearing you didn't care to say, you going back out there tomorrow. It's like, well, I might as well get it done. <laughs> Keep sending me out there, you know, and yeah. it worked out. It worked out and it worked out for everybody. Well, I think it's so important for a manager, coach to have confidence in the player because that permutates to the player. I mean, the player, and I know a lot of coaches were negative. And uh, once a player finds out the coach doesn't like him or gets negative to him, it's tough for the, the player to overcome that because now they, they feel that they got to do more than they should do or more than they can do to be good. And you got to be yourself. Like you said, it's all about adjustments. You made adjustments. Fields wet, you know, mounds higher. And you were smart enough to make those adjustments. And that's what it's all about. And the game is all about adjustments. You know, a lot of guys get to the big leagues and they, they don't stay there because they never adjusted to it. I mean, Again, in the big leagues of a hitter, they know what you can't hit before you get there. In double A, they don't know what you can't hit until maybe six games into the, the series or something, or five. So, I mean, it's all about adjustments. And, again, that's why it's a smart man's game to a certain extent. I mean, you had great baseball sense as well as great ability, athletic ability, and all that kind of stuff that made you what you are. But the fact that your makeup, you know, you showed confidence in yourself, but then, again, you worked at it to get better. And that's what it's all about. Like I always said, you work hard, you get better. You don't work at all, you get worse. There's nothing in between. And you always worked hard at, at your skill. And that's what you want. And that's why you were one of the best pitchers in the game for a long time. Flash, on that note, what are some things you passed on to your two sons? Um, obviously, it's, a, it's, it's the same game, but there's some different nuances in it. You know, with the influx of analytics and things like launch angle, there's a, there's a heavy emphasis on things that maybe weren't in the game back uh, when you played. What, what are some... What are some pieces of advice that you've given them that resonated with your career? But what are some ways that you give them to handle the new, I guess, the, the nuances of the game today, like the analytics version? Yeah, I, I've always said, you know, there's 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 things that come in the game each and every year that should be there and things that may not last as long. And as, as we see, you know, analytics going to stay there. Uh, the sabermetric stuff and a part of how the launch angle plays and all of that. I think these the, the kids have actually jumped on to liking that more than anything. So it's it's a part of the game. And I've always said to them, I, I take a little bit from what the great Tony Gwynn said to me. He said, I, I asked him before D, before D actually was going to college, I said, well, what would be something that I can actually motivate my son? Because he don't want to pitch. I mean, you know, he would if he had to, but if he could, he would like to play, stay, still be a hitter, play the infield, and he's just about to go into college. And he said, he said, Flash, uh, 
just tell him it's going to be always a difficult time because what happens in the game, the game changes a lot, whether it be the numbers and the stats and how you play. But just remember to have confidence in how he plays. And each and every time he goes out there, try to improve the way he play. You know, if he's a guy that's going to steal bases, he's a guy that's going to slap the ball. He's a guy that's going to, you know, hit doubles and always in scoring position. Tell me, the game still needs that. The game's going to need his type of ability. So don't, you know, get rid of that because you see one other player hit. You know, remember back when Brady hit, um, Brady Anderson hit those 50 home runs. You thought every leadoff hitter should hit, lead, hit home runs, but we, the excitement in the game then was great because Brady hit those 50 home runs. We all loved watching him hit it, but we all missed something that was a part of the game. So I always wanted to tell my boys, be something in the game that you knew that you are. You've also, you worked on it, you tried it, and, and if you like it, and it's gotten you to the big league, somebody likes it. Somebody wants to see you play that way. And so everyone wants to be a 30 home run type of guy. 90 to 100 RBIs and get the big, big deals. But there's also needing to be t uh, table setters and guys that can get on base and make, make the game fun. There's going to be a kid that's sitting in the stands that's going to be watching you saying, well, maybe I'm short. And, 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 and my game needs to be that way. But I also, too, you know, try to talk to the kids that are tall and say, hey, what you have is those things that everybody come to see. And that's the leverage you can use, the power that you have possessed with your swing. So use all of those things that are really good that make people like you. Get to the big league with, with that and don't just get rid of that. That's great advice. It's gotten you there because what they'll do is they'll help you get better. The moment you leave those things that you've learned and worked so hard on to get to the big leagues, you let them go. You got no place to return. And it's hard to start all over. And I think, Shay, too, and you probably can agree with that. There's a lot of players that we knew probably tried certain pitches had one or two games of success because they thought that they was tricking a guy. And then the moment they tricked one or two batters, then they realized, well, uh, what, what's just happened is I dropped my arm slot. A couple guys recognized I was slider and they didn't see it. But now they're starting to put that in their repertoire, believing that, hey, he might throw me a 2-2, two -two, a 3-2 slider. Now you got to battle through that. Now you got to pitch inside a little more. You got to use your fastball a little bit more. And I think that's where, you know, especially some guys that haven't put it all together with the big leagues can make you or break you. It is like she said, there's no in between. You got to go after it. And sometimes you get lucky enough to hang around. And sometimes the responsibility side says, hey, if I'm a great star and I want to be a great player, you know, I may never be the Manny Ramirez great or Pedro Martinez great or Roger Clemens great. But here's what I can be is a great teammate. I can be a guy that when the team counts on a win that day, I want it to be the guy 80 percent. Give them 80 percent of the time. Give them that. Uh, and just like the great George Brett. You know, we were with, we were George Brett, safe. You know, and we saw his routine. We saw how he went about it every day. And I remember both sending me, Flash, <laughs> Flash. I need you to watch this guy. And I'm like, oh, Jackson, he's a he's a hitter. I mean, every day he he said, well, what is he doing, Flash? And I was like, well, I see him doing the same exact thing every day. And he was like, absolutely. Like, what is he doing now? I want you to break it down a little bit more. And I was like, he sits on this his seat at this certain time every day my locker was completely across the way from him he gets there every day at this time for his interviews he does his interviews and shuts them off and i see him for like the next 30 40 minutes and it's a moment where he's in his baseball it's like a baseball mode of mindset that he's getting ready for and i give my sons all of these all of these you know these 
conversations and views of people that I've seen as great players and how they went about it. And I say, well, maybe, maybe you need a routine. Maybe you need to find a way, a better way to doing it. Maybe you need to work on your bunny. Maybe you need to figure out whether you can hit that fastball up because like Shay said, if you're learning the game and you're really putting that hard work in, you do improve. But when you're not improving, it's because you're not working. You haven't done something to figure something else out, somebody else out. No little nuances that guys have that make their game that much better. And I'm almost certain everybody saw my little nuance. I mean, I, 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 I you know, I, I appreciate working with a sports psychologist for a mighty long time. Uh, and, and sometimes I talk to them about that because the, the mental game is even harder than the actual game itself. And Shafe, we both, we've seen that every day. We've seen that with players, but we know that with some of the greatest players in the world. But they can turn it on, and as soon as that game ends, they could be your best friend. Hey, guys, like, as soon as they take me deep or I lose a game or blow the save, hey, man, hey, that, you know, walking through the tunnel. Man, that's, that's nothing big about that other than, you know, hey, I got you today, but dude, would you like to go out to dinner and hang out with us a little while? And that wasn't my thing, but however, because I was still emotionally trying to figure this out. However, at the same time, that's how guys work. They wanted to beat you. It was a competition, but it wasn't personal. And you, they wanted you to learn how to get them out just as much as they wanted to figure out how to, to beat you. I think that's great advice. You know, be who you are. I mean, we all said some guys hit enough home runs to be dangerous. So they might hit a home run, you know, maybe five home runs the first two or three weeks of the season. So they keep trying to hit home runs. Well, they're not home run hitters. So they alter their swing and they go backwards. But, uh, you know, be who you are and be the best you can be at who you are. And like you said, with D, I mean, his speed was his best thing. So he hit the ball on the ground, hit the ball the other way, led the league in batting average. I mean, that's a great accomplishment for a guy that was, can't say he was a great hitter, but he took advantage of what he could do. And that's what it's all about. Do what you can do best and be who you are. And like you just said, do 80% of the time you can help a team win. Oh, yeah. And, that, and that's even with Nicholas. I mean, Nicholas probably, for me, Nicholas rated, scouted, or whatever you could say, probably even higher so than me and Nick, me and Vart, D was, you know, but at the same time, D and I figured some things out about ourselves. And Nicholas is still trying to figure those things out because uh, he's taller. He's trying to figure out if he's a home run hitter. If he's, you know, he runs well, but he's not sure if he runs like his brother runs. And I'm like, you, you don't need all of that. What you need to do is figure out who you are. Right. In this game, if you continue to not figure that out every three to six months or get better every time the team sees you, then, then you know, eventually you you have to get passed on for that next young energetic player that's coming around and say, if you know, I'm, I'm, I do stuff with perfect game. So I see, I see the talent, like four or 5 million kids each year, all over the country, all over the world coming through. And this talent is it's, it's better. It's motivated by what the new tactics tools are that's out there that these kids have. You got the internet, you got all the scouting, you got all these rankings and whether they're right or wrong, the bottom line is it's eye catching. Yeah. And it's good to know that people like yourself, there's still I um, podcasts that out there information from the scouts that really scouted the game that took out the time for the game that understood scouting as well as, you know, understood the stopwatch totally understood what a real fastball looks like. I, I shake me and you can go to the ball field today. Can't we? And look at a guy throwing and say that guy's in between 92 and 95. And we could be standing on the sides watching him throw his fastball. Am right. I right or wrong? You would right. do that. See it come out of his hand the right way. And the guys effortless are the guys who have success because yeah. the ball has a life on it and so forth. And That's 
even sitting close enough, if you're close enough in the minor league ballpark, you can hear how the ball comes off his fingertips. Right. You know, it, it's just something about that and something about way, you know, a guy takes a swing. He takes that swing, but he's not on that fastball. And then all of a sudden you throw him a slider, then voila, he got, he got, you know, he got the fans hooping and hollering and shouting because you took your deep. You know, right. you didn't pay attention to the, the previous swing. You didn't pay attention to the pitch that you just beat him. All these things I say to my sons and kids that I teach and I see, and I see millions of kids a year that just pay, let your eyes be your teacher too. Don't don't forget you you do have sight. You see how that guy is stepping up in the box. You see how that right fielder's shaded you to pull. Just let your eyes be the scout for you. And you're always any anytime you want to be scouted, you know, great players want to be told when they're not great. You know, I'm as you saw Shay. You know, like we knew that. Hey man, I just absolutely sucked today. You know, and then tomorrow it's he was back to that star. Right. Think about well, that. I mean, the coach can tell the kid what he has to do to get better. He can't make him better. It's up to the player to make himself better. But the coach can shorten that the time span for him to get better by telling him this is what you got to do to get better. And Dave, Dave works with a lot of young kids. Two sons are very good players. His daughter's a good athlete. And he works with a lot of young kids, does a lot of coaching. So Dave, tell him, you know, you coach basketball. You played, you're a college basketball coach. You played in minor leagues. And you know a lot about two sports for sure. Well, I think this, I think you hit on a good point, Flash, and maybe we can expound on it. There's a lot of kids, there's a lot more better athletes nowadays playing, but because of all the input they have out there, you mentioned the internet, more apparatuses that give them measurements of what they can do. Um, I find that they're a little bit more fragile than they used to be. And maybe that's me being an old man on the, on my lawn shouting at the clouds. But, um, do you find that, um, the really good ones, they, they say that they want to be coached, but do you find that they, the, the really good ones want to just be told the truth? Yeah, and that's that's the key. I think for the most part, great players want to know when they weren't great that day. You know, it's okay for you to tell me in the clubhouse because they can shrug it off. I mean, if, you know, the great Dennis Eckersley lost a game, blew a save, you know, the next day he's in the game. Most players in that clubhouse, 80 to 90% of the players in the clubhouse knew that he was saving that game again, and it's just how he rolled. It, it, you may give up one game. You may not have one good start. You may have one bad game and show the third, but it's not like you have four or five. The greatest players, they make adjustments to make themselves better each and every single day, and they want to be told when they're not great. They, 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 it, it's not that no one wants to be in the, you know, in the, the papers and the headlines of blowing a game, making a big error cause the team the game. However, they can handle it that much more. An average player, average player rather just go to a room and sit down for a moment and just kind of relish on his moment the day before that big moment where he had and it didn't work out. Yeah. That's, the, that's a lot of the questions we get from kids and parents and um, mistakes lead to clues on how to get better. And those clues leads to you developing more principles to, you know, make them a part of who you are. And just decent players. Players don't want to be told anything. That's why they don't hang around long. It's because a decent player don't feel he needs to do anything other than just be in the clubhouse or in the the room with the players. You know, uh, no, there's a responsibility to be a great player, and a great player has to want that. Whether you end up with Hall of Fame numbers at the end or you end up being considered, I like to be considered as a teammate that everyone knew that Flash every day gave his all. 
<clears throat> and I ask my boys that. I talk to kids that I see every single day. Hey, leave it on the line, man, because you never know that moment that may not be there for you. And this uniform is fragile. It is. It's something that you should be proud enough to wear, but also to don't ever take it off. Let, let someone take it off you and say it's it's over for you. Let them change your locker code before you give it up on that. With um, you, and you, what I love about this interview is you can hear it in your voice within the first thirty seconds of talking. You can you can hear the the intensity and the enthusiasm, the passion you have for the game. And also you can hear the sense of reverence you have for your former coach. And I hope our audience is getting that as well, because um, those are key keys to growing as a player too. I've got a little off the wall question for you. Is it, is it right to ask you a little, it's, it's outside of baseball. Yeah, sure. So how on earth, and, and Bob, I don't know if you, I, I don't read science fiction, but um, I came across this. How on earth did you become a major character in the book, The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon by Stephen King? How did that happen? Well, I tell you what, it's 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 that's what happens when you get to play in cities like Boston, New York, and places uh, of that nature. Not 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 that it could have happened in Tampa with Rays or somewhere like that. It just, you know, being in the significant towns and places that where people just know the game. I've always appreciated the fact that anytime I came to Fenway, I, the, the people knew the game. Yankee Stadium, they knew and understood their team. They understood the game. They they wanted to see excitement, whether they won or lost. Of course, they were always expecting to win the Cubs. I mean, it, it was just that way uh, to be in that area where people were, actors were and stars were and folks that produced movies or, you know, in any entertainment because they wanted to be involved with, from my understanding, I heard so many people talk about how much they would have loved to be baseball players. And we talked about loving to be them in, in regard to actors and actresses. So I got lucky to be in position as I'm closing these games, Stephen King sitting at his ball, ball field and, you know, he's a uh, season ticket holder, sits right beside the dugout. Never had a chance to meet him that entire year to the end of the year. Uh, but he was writing a book and he like halfway through the middle of the book, he said it would make a lot of sense for the guy who's closing these games and it'll make a lot of sense because he's the closer. I can actually add more of what he's doing. He said, so the book was basically wrote while he was at games and seeing those games being played, how they was playing out. So pretty much everything in that book was basically game to game in a clay, in a save or closer situation that I was actually involved in. And, and so he said, that's what made it easier for him to write it because it was actually a lot of it that was true coming from the game. And then you being a guy, it's your first year with all these saves and playing the way you're playing for the Red Sox. The fans was, you know, as soon as the music come on, flash, ah, it was just like, wow, this is the right guy for me. I didn't even pick the song, which came with me. However, it's just been each and every year, every couple of years, it was something new that was given to me or blessed with me, whether it be coaches. Uh, a, a famous author like Stephen King to write a, a novel like he did and involved me. I was grateful. My community loved it. I uh, all the, my churches all loved it. I thank God I was able to donate all that money to the churches. However, he wrote that book, and I was proud to be a part of something so beautiful with Stephen King and his family, his wife Tab. Uh, but you know, like I said, it was just that moment that I was brought in to save games, and it could have been anyone, but it was something that was given to me and a blessing on top of it. They said there's supposed to be a movie adaptation to it. It was, I guess, 2019. I may, maybe COVID delayed it. But are you aware of the, them doing a movie and will you make a cameo? 
Well, I tell you, it's been really, really great because we took a little bit of a page from, you know, one of the great uh, golfers out there, Tiger Woods, who, you know, he had some moments in regards to him having his story and his father and his family story told. And I, I, I'm not an actor, but I would have loved to actually been able to, if they did something, which I know that there is, has been some negotiations on that. At some point, I would like to just say, hey, I'm, I'm Tom Flash Gordon. That, I, I, that's for me, that's, as far as I like to go with it, I think it's been so such a blessing, but also instrumental in my life because of Stephen King and his family wanting me to be a part of it. And then the hometown that I have and how my community jumped on it, loved it, and everybody that has been involved in it to where once it does go, I think that's the one thing I'd like to say is, you know, I, I'm actually Tom Flash Gordon. I saw something in the internet the other day. I was getting my dad a new phone, Shafe, and, you know, and, and, and I looked at something. They say, who is Flash you know, I said, is there a baseball player named Flash? Just And that was a question. So as I'm looking at this, I'm like, you know, I know they call me Flash, but I wonder if there's anybody else that called me. And I, and I didn't think when I looked at, is there a baseball player, is there a professional athlete called Flash? I pressed it while I was my name. So I, I, I'm grateful for that. I mean, you know, I, I get a lot of people talk to me about it, but that started in Kansas City. Shafe, Bo Jackson, um, uh, George Brett, and all my teammates, they made that flash name just just sit anonymous with me and I, i'm grateful for that because I, I i truly i i enjoyed that flash movie too but also i enjoyed the fact that i got a chance to get a cool pretty cool nickname from guys that loved me so much but flash tell us this little story about you and bo bo was like your big brother you guys were you know very close i think bo was good on you and you were good for bo but uh it was a great duo so to speak there but Bo was, I spoke about him before in a podcast. I mean, he was an unbelievable athlete, did some unbelievable things. And uh, But you were very close to him, right? Yeah. I, I You know, Bo, Bo Linda, the family, uh, the kids, you know, I grew up in the family. I, I lived with Bo and Linda for three, a little bit over three years uh, at the house with them. As a matter of fact, because Shafe could kind of, you, you know, you can concur to this. Uh, we would go places, and, of course, being with Bo, you know, now they, anytime I got off the bus or we got to out of a limo, they started saying, well, that's Bo's son. That's Bo's son, you know. I look, you know, look that young, you know, walking around, and I'm always with Jackson. And so every time we went into, whether he was doing a commercial, whether we were going to baseball field, I was with him. Uh, if he's, you know, and a lot of times I was going to ball field early because he was doing early work, he was doing other stuff. But that was the routine he had, and he was going to make sure that I have one. So he was so instrumental. He's been instrumental as not just like a big brother, but both been more like a father to me in my, my, my life. He's been more of that person that when I do things right, he's quick to give me advice and tell me that, hey, good job, son. If I do things wrong, he's the first one to let me know. I don't like that. you know. And that, and that to me, has been more important to me because there's times, like I said, at 19, 20-year-old, I get to the major leagues, I needed that guidance. And Bo gave me that guidance, and to this day he does. He still, and he still does today. And if something you know, he he hears or he sees, which I don't give him a whole lot to hear or see sometimes, but you know, if he's proud of something, like he's proud of the fact that you know, just last couple of years I've been with Perfect Games so long and been doing so many things, same special advisor, senior advisor, and all this great stuff that's happening around with me with amateur baseball. He's been the first to call and say, "I'm really proud of you," because I knew that you could do not just be the athlete he was going to be a person that was going to make decisions and i was always proud of him for that so i'm grateful in a lot of ways for the way he handled me but he 
he put the hammer down on me at times like I was his very own son. There were times I was on the punishment. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't even go to, uh, they were playing in Miami and I, and, and I was kind of late coming down and, and he said, you're not going to the game. <laughs> like, okay. At the hotel, be here when I get here back. I said, all right. But you know, I was like, I was on a punishment, you know? <laughs> I was like, but that's the instrument. I mean, that was the way he, he embraced me as someone in his family. He made sure my mom knew that at 19, 20 years old, he wasn't just going to be out there just kind of like lingering around, just running around, even having, you know, we didn't have cell phones in, having family he can reach. You got to go back to the hotel. He's going to stay with me and lending the kids. And I became one of the family members. So he definitely did a wonderful job with me. And I'm so grateful because I, 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 I owe him, I mean, you know, for life. I owe him that, that credit for showing me the routine and how to actually get it implemented. It sounds That's like great. you're passing on that great information you got from Bob and from, from Bo to not just your sons, but millions of kids every summer, every spring with your current role. I think that's phenomenal. I, I, I commend you on that, and I, I can't think of a better person to do it. Yeah, I, I, I tell you what, Bo knows. And the wonderful thing about him, even when he got hurt, you know, uh, it was not just about him. It was about, you know, the people that he wanted to still give that, that household can turn TV on and see some stuff he was doing, but also too, he was just a great influence and he's always been that. So it's been great having somebody like Bo Jackson. It's been great. You know, one of my favorite teammates of all time is Brett Saberhagen. I mean, saves, I mean, I, I and, and Shafe could concur to this on, on Sunday day game. He had his California wave looking, you know, he had his can go on backwards. I was like, man, I want to be just like this dude. You know, this is, this is awesome. And uh, it, it was just so cool the way he would handle his teammates. He was always there for every single one of them. He was always there to help improve them. He was always there to talk to them about whether it's family stuff, off the field stuff, show them at their le the leadership. He talked to you about not having to be the one to do it all for the family. I mean, Saberhagen is it's that type of influencer as well. And to this very day, he and I talk probably, we talk every month. Um, so he's him too, as well as a lot of other teammates that I had in Kansas City. However, Bo, um, what 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 a classic! What a classic guy! What a, what an awesome guy! And a guy that still today is a father figure in my life. Well, one of the saddest days of my life in 1991, spring training when the Royals released him because it was hip situation, and it was just a tragedy for baseball. And, and he came back and, and played again, not as quite as good, but still pretty good. But he was just a tremendous athlete, like you said, a great guy. And uh, I remember you and him hung out together. I didn't realize I, – I guess I did know you, you lived with him for a while, and he took you under his wing and everything. But it just shows you the kind of guys we had there. You know, 1988, maybe 89, we had the second-best record in the American League. But in those days, they didn't have a wild card. So we never got to the playoffs. But uh, You know, if, we, if there was a wild card, as much as we were beating Oakland, yeah, if it was, we would have been in the World Series. I mean yeah. – I think we always had that last weekend of the series of the season where Oakland's coming to town. And it just seemed like it was ideal for Oakland because they weren't losing all four. But we needed to win all four and maybe needed one more after that. But but they knew that they couldn't beat the Kansas City Royals. They knew we had everything we could actually put on the field. Our starting pitcher was just as good, if not better. Our starting pitcher knew how that felt to be in that heat. You know, it's, it, it didn't matter. We were ready to play. But we win 92 games, and they win 94. Right. But the game's changed, but probably for the better, you had more teams in wild card and more teams in the playoffs. But uh, I wouldn't trade 
that baseball in those days with the baseball now. I mean, we played fundamental baseball. They still do it to a certain extent, but I think that, you know, the propeller heads, they call them, got the launch angles, they got the uh, spin rates, all that kind of stuff. And too many guys stress that than getting a base hit or striking somebody out or getting ahead of a guy, you know, get ahead of a hitter in the count and pitching. It's more like throwing now to a lot of guys. And I don't know what you feel about that, but yeah, I tell you, you know, Jamie Moore and I talk a lot too. Right? And, 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 and it's great that you brought that point up. And he and I was talking before our the golf event. He's like, I'm better to make it, but count me in for next year. And I said, well, well, well great. I mean, I, you know, cause he's one of my guys and, and I, I would always tell Jamie, especially when we were in Chicago, I said, Jamie, you know what? I don't think I could throw a baseball at 84, 85 miles an hour getting out. He said, you know, you don't have to, but however, it became an art for me. You know, it's not like I couldn't throw a ball 90. It just became something that, number one, I figured out how to slow the game down. I became almost like a guy that would frustrate you because, you know, you, I knew you wanted to swing early, but I didn't want you to swing early. It was like he was predicting how a hitter came to the plate. He was predicting what he wanted to do. And in your frustrations with him, gave him a quick out or gave him a 3-2 out or 2-2 out. And that's how he won 200-some games, is that he wasn't trying to do anything nobody else did. In today's game, I, it it, it have been hard for me back in that time to throw a ball 85, 87 miles per hour fastball and think that I'm going to win ball games. He was doing that and was winning ball games and doing it with six, in six, seven, eight innings sometimes. Well, he knew what he was supposed to do, what he could do. He took advantage of what he could do. He wasn't trying to be somebody else. And that could be the case today. It's just the, the mindset of some of these things that everyone needs to believe that they got to throw up 95 to 100 miles an hour. There's nothing wrong with that if you can do it. But there yeah. will be a, another guy that can throw 87 miles an hour cutter or fastball and still get away with something. You just got to trust your stuff and know what you are capable of and what hitters you can actually take more chances with. That's a good point. Love it. Bob, we've kept Flash for almost an hour here. Uh, we appreciate his time. And uh, any last questions for him? Or Flash, any last messages you want to provide to our audience? 74 countries. So you were global before, but if, you, if you're if you missing a country or two, we may have added some for you today. Well, I tell you guys, I, I when Shafe asked me to be on, I'm so happy because for, for, for Shafe and the way he went about it, man, like I said, that was total professional. Uh, and, and he never left any any – any, it was almost like not leaving a man behind, Shafe, and all the coaches that you work with and the players and the people that you know, you left an impression on them. So for me to be here for you and all of us to still connect in a lot of ways, whether it be doing golf events and other stuff that we do, it's it's a proud moment because you get that chance to see the people that you love so much. And we all became family. Remember, we all became family in the game. I appreciate what you said. And uh, you're always a special baseball player, but you're also a special, special person and uh one i truly call a friend and uh you know it was a pleasure being around you but you know with your golf tournament it was tremendous you had it well organized got great people there you raised a lot of money but it's good that you still get back to the community you still get back to baseball and, and that's special right there so you're definitely a special guy one of my favorite guys i said from the beginning and uh we'll still stay in touch we will absolutely uh, yeah, Bob, great interview. Flash, thank you so much uh, for giving our audience all that information and great advice to our 60,000 subscribers. And to those subscribers, this one won't be hard to give five stars to. Uh, make sure you do that. Write some nice comments underneath it because we battle the analytics of the podcast world, just like we talked today about they do in baseball. Help us out there. 
We're now a major player in iHeartRadio's powerful podcast network. Help, help keep us there. And to our special friend with Blackout Coffee, they say be awake, not woke. I'm drinking their espresso right now. I bought some the other day. 20% off at checkout if you type in David, all capital letters, with the number 20 after. I'm lucky because it's my first name, Bob. I can't misspell that. So David20, you'll get 20% out at checkout and then 15% in perpetuity. We love our friends that give us discounts, love baseball, and love our take on the world. And that's Touch Em All, episode 352 on the network. And I don't know why I didn't think of this song before, but uh, we're going to close out with this song here. Flash, thanks so much. Yeah.